Hello ladies and gentlemen of the internet, this is Super Fanboy Guy here, and I'm very excited to announce the first episode of my new Versus System TCG podcast, and with me on this episode is my co-host Jacob Wheeler. Jacob, how are you doing today? Good man, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. So after months of planning and trying to coordinate our, ska- our uh, schedules, Jacob and I finally made the time to record this first uh, monumental podcast that we're doing and what this episode is going to be about is Jacob has been very active on the competitive side of Versus System for uh, quite some time now and he actually has a version of a very popular deck in the format right now and this deck is called Mega City and he made his this he made his own deck and made some changes and he is going to share with us his uh, deck that he's been using, and he's going to pretty much talk about the deck itself, what do the cards do, and then we're going to go over some of the strategies that the deck uses, and he's going to go in more detail about that. So right now, Jacob is going to talk about the deck profile and all the cards, so with that being said, I'm going to let Jake uh, take over. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll go ahead and jump right into it. Mega City is a deck that teams up Arkham Inmates and Brotherhood. In my opinion, I think it's one of the most consistent decks in the format, and it's definitely one of the top decks in Golden Age uh, right now. So we'll go ahead and get into the one drops. Uh, Harley Quinn is a four of. She's an Arkham Inmates character, and you can discard her to power up an Arkham Inmates attacker or defender you control. Next we have Mystique Raven. She has the character names of all cards in the deck hand and KO pile. Next we have Aunt May, Golden Oldie. This is Spider Friend's character when she comes into play. She can search out a character named Spider-Man, but more importantly, you discard a card so that she can come into play without using her resource points. Moving on to our two drops, we have four copies of Poison Ivy, Deadly Rose. You can KO another character and KO a resource you control, and you can search your deck for a location and put it in its spot. And that's going to be really important for setting up our Lost City Avalon Space Station abuse later on. Next, we have three copies of Mad Hatter, Jervis Tech. He has the ability to pay one resource point. You can actually take your opponent's two-drop or less character and move it to your side of the board, which will then be KO'd to Poison Ivy later on for another search effect. Next, we have Caliban Pestilence. He has Shift. He's a 2-3 X-Factor Horseman of of Apocalypse. And while he's shifted with two shift counters, your opponent can't draw cards from effects outside of just drawing your cards for the turn. And last for the two drops, we have the Penguin, Crime's Early Bird. And whenever the Penguin is discarded, you can remove him from the game. And if you do, you can return an Arkham Inmates character card from your KO pile to your hand. So onto our four-cost characters. We have two copies of Magneto House of M. When he comes into play, you can KO any number of target equipment with a cost of zero, equipped to a single character. Now, the reason why he's in here, he's going to be in here for Sentinel Mark 7, which we'll talk about in a second. But another reason why he's in here is there's a lot of equipments that give the character the ability to not be targeted by anything. And that's really prominent in Golden Age right now. So what Magneto does is he actually targets the equipment, 
not the character. And he can target multiple equipments with a cost of zero. So fade artifacts, things like that, you can bring him into play and he can just blow up all of the fade artifacts without having to deal with targeting the character. Because most effects will have something like, you know, KO, all equipments equipped to target character. And when it's worded like that, Cloak of Nabu and some other things, they actually prevent you from being able to use those. So Magneto House of M kind of bypasses that problem. The next on our list is going to be uh, one copy of Blob, Fred Dukes. And he's really cool because he's a six attack, so, it, you know, a little low for a four drop, but he's actually nine defense. And while he's in your front row, support row Brotherhood characters you control can't actually be attacked. It depends on whether or not you're playing odds or evens, is whether or not you're going to play Blob or Magneto. But if on turn four your opponent is going to attack you first, Blob is usually the better choice to throw out there first. We're going to move on to our five drops. We have two copies of Juggernaut, Walking Disaster. I really like him. I think he's great for Golden Age. So whenever he causes breakthrough to a player, you get to replace up to that many target face-up resources that that player controls. There's a lot of decks that rely on, you know, setting up resources and having, you know, certain things in place in your resource row. Juggernaut can really bypass that and can really come in clutch and, and win the game for you just off of his ability alone. The next thing that we have is Spider-Man, Secret Avenger. This is going to be a one copy in our five drop list. Aunt May can actually fetch for him if you need him to. In many Golden Age decks, we need the ability to actually negate opposing effects. And Spider-Man just does that. He has loyalty and reservist. He's an Avenger spider friend character. So his ability is to discard a character card and target opposing character loses and can't have powers or keywords this turn. You can only do it once per turn. So we're going to move on to our six drops. Mystique Freedom Force is coming in as a one of 11 attack, 13 defense, Brotherhood character. She has leader, and so adjacent characters to Mystique get plus three attack. Sentinel Mark 7 is one of my favorite cards in the list. He's a Brotherhood character from Marvel Legends. He's only a one of. And while you control Magneto, whenever Sentinel Mark 7 stuns another character, you may stun target character with the lowest cost among characters its opponent controls. Because of Sentinel Mark 7's effect, if you're on evens and you actually have your 4-drop Magneto in play, I've had many times where I've actually won the game on turn 6, just blowing my opponent out with Lost City power-ups after strategically attacking and stunning using Sentinel Mark 7. And our last one that we're going to talk about, and this may be kind of a wonky choice, but we've got, as a 6 cost, we have Bane, the man who broke the bat. He's got loyalty. He's the 12-12, and whenever Bane attacks, you may KO target stun character. That's not as good as some of the other two effects that we have. So Bane actually won't be uh, one of your main choices for 6-drop, but he does have boost 1. So when he comes into play, he gets plus 2, plus 2 for the turn. So he'll be a 14-14, kind of 7-drop if you choose to boost him. Going into our 7-cost characters, we have Magneto, Master of Magnetism. I like Magneto a lot. I think Magneto, Master of Magnetism, is a very underrated card in Golden Age. He's a 16-16 uh, Brotherhood character. Stunned characters your opponent control can't be recovered. And that's that's pretty good, especially when you pair it with Sentinel Mark Seven. Uh, next on our list, and this is another one of my favorite cards, Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction is a one of. At the start of the combat phase, if you recruited another Juggernaut this game, you can KO up to two target resources. What's really interesting about this is the wording on this is at the start of the combat phase, 
And because that's static, that's actually going to trigger every combat phase, turn seven, eight, and nine. So essentially what you're doing is you're locking your opponent into a mid-range fight with you. And you're locking your opponent out of playing Galactus, if that's what they're uh, attempting to do, or any other non-drop character. So by bringing the fight back down to only, only allowing your opponent's turns 5, 6, and 7 with Juggernaut over time, you're actually going to win out in the game. So Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction, man, it's, it's bar none one of my favorite cards on the list for sure. So that wraps up the characters, and we'll go ahead and move on to locations in the deck. Moving on to our one-cost locations, we have three copies of Lost City. Lost City basically says that if a Brotherhood character you control would become powered up, instead it'll get plus three, plus three. Because usually through the game rules, if you power up somebody, they'll just get the plus one, plus one. Next, as a one-of, we're going to come in with one-of Savage Land. Uh, Savage Land says that you can activate it and target a Brotherhood attacker you control. And it gets plus one attack and minus one defense for each resource you control. So outside of Lost City, Savage Land can give one of your lower drops a little bit of an extra buff. Or if you want more breakthrough damage or something like that, Savage Land can kind of bridge that gap. So we're going to move on to our uh, two-cost locations. We're going to have four Avalon Space Stations. This is kind of like the, the first piece was Lost City. The second piece to like the trifecta of what you're trying to get online is going to be Avalon Space Station. Avalon Space Station is really, really good. Um, you can activate it and just discard any card from your hand, and you can return any character from the KO pile to your hand. Or you can activate it and discard a Brotherhood character and return two characters from your KO pile to your hand instead. Discarding a card is part of the cost to activating Avalon Space Station. So you can actually discard a Brotherhood character card and choose that same character card because it's now in the KO pile and another character card and return both of them to your hand. So Avalon Space Station kind of cheats the system to having like cards like, oh, discard a card in order to do this or draw two cards, discard a card. Avalon Space Station, when you discard a Brotherhood card, allows us to kind of bypass that and we get to save that card advantage. And there's going to be two copies of Empire State University. Now, Empire State University allows us to activate and exhaust a Spider Friends character card we control, which is typically going to be Aunt May. And we can look at the top two cards of our deck and put one into our hand and then the other one on the bottom of our deck. And then we're going to have one copy of Soul World. Soul World is going to have Terraform, and we can activate it and pay for Endurance and return target character card from our KO pile to our hand. So Soul World is going to be another way that we can kind of cheat the cost for doing certain things in this deck. Because maintaining and managing your hand advantage over your opponent is honestly going to be the most important aspect of actually piloting this thing. Next, we're going to have are two team-ups, and they're both going to be two-cost team-ups. The first team-up that we have is going to be United Planets HQ, and it has Terraform. We can activate it and choose two different team affiliations among characters we control, and then we can cross over those chosen affiliations. And 31st Century Metropolis allows you to choose two team affiliations you control, cross over those affiliations, and then you actually get to activate 31st Century Metropolis and give those two team affiliations to one character. So typically in a bind or to prevent Aunt May from getting 
hit when Blob is in the front row, you're actually going to be able to give Aunt May Arkham Inmates and Brotherhood so that she's protected by Blob. You're probably going to be doing that just about every turn. So next we're going to have our three cost locations and uh, Underground Resistance is going to come in as, as a one of and we can activate it and discard a Brotherhood character card and look at the top three cards of your deck and put one of them into your hand and then the rest on bottom. I really like Underground Resistance a lot because it's not limited to just de digging for a character or digging for a plot twister location. And because we discard, you know, a Brotherhood card, we can actually return the card that we discarded with Avalon Space Station. And so we get to keep card advantage like the whole time. This is another reason why Soul World is a, is a one of in this list is because it kind of cheats the payment for underground resistance. So we turn all of that into pure card advantage. That wraps up the locations and then we're going to go ahead and move on to plot twists. Okay, our two cost plot twist, and this is going to be one of like our more important tutor spells, is going to be straight to the grave. It's going to let us search our deck for a character card and just put it into the KO pile. Avalon Space Station is going to allow us to take this straight to the grave and change its meaning or its text into search your deck for a character card and put it into your hand. Our three cost plot twist, we're going to move on to Enemy of My Enemy. This is going to be a three of, so our total amount of search cards is going to be seven. When you combine that with Underground Resistance in Empire State University and mixing with Poison Ivies like Search Effects, seven is really all you need. I've never needed eight tutor spells before, so I, I think that four straight to the graves, three enemy of my enemies is, is exactly where we need to be. Discard any character and then search your deck for a character that has a different printed affiliation from the cards that you discarded. We have characters like Caliban and, you know, Spider-Man and Aunt May that we can use that have completely different affiliations than Brotherhood and Arkham inmates. If those cards become useless, they're at least fodder for Enemy of My Enemy. Four straight to the graves, three Enemy of My Enemies, and then we're going to move on um, to three Have a Blast. I like Have a Blast over cards like Death of the Dream or other replacement uh, plot twist for the opponent's resource row because the cost for have a blast is just simply discarding a card and with the way things go with the deck we really don't care too much about discarding as long as we're not you know pitching uh, like basically our whole hand in one turn so we can steadily recoup the cards that we discard to effects like underground resistance or have a blast so have a blast allows us to discard a card from our hand and then we get to ko a location or ongoing plot twist in our opponent's resource row and then they get to replace that off the top of their deck and then next up we have pathetic attempt and i think that this is super important to talk about pathetic attempt we have this as a four of it's one of our our only four cost plot twists uh in here so four pathetic attempts the reason why this is in here is because the opponent is going to be attempting to uh, single target remove our lost city or our avalon space station preferably lost city uh, on their end so pathetic attempts will kind of shut that down there's not really a whole lot and this is what makes this deck so good there's not really a whole lot of character disruption effects that they can do to us, like negating abilities and things like that, that we really care about, that we really want to Pathetic Attempt. The two reasons why Pathetic Attempt is in here is to prevent our single target removal in our resource row, to keep that Lost City Avalon Space Station and team up uh, going as an engine, and 
it's Galactus. Galactus can be a big problem. And so we have a big, big potential to just instantly lose to Galactus. This is one of the reasons why Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction is in here to prevent our opponent from getting to Galactus. But because character negation effects do exist in the Golden Age format, most people don't realize that you can actually pathetic attempt Galactus's effect because it does target you. So if Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction kind of fails or for some reason you're not able to get them online, Pathetic Attempt is there for you. Just remember, Pathetic Attempt to Galactus, and then you can also Pathetic Attempt what's being targeted for Lost City, Avalon Space Station, and your only two team-ups in the deck. So that'll do it for the deck, and now we're going to go into how the deck kind of functions on a turn-by-turn -turn basis, and just the whole rotation of everything. On turn one, your mulligan condition is, is really dependent on trying to get Poison Ivy um, either Poison Ivy and then a fetch card like uh, Straight to the Grave and Enemy of My Enemy, or Mad Hatter and then Straight to the Grave or Enemy of My Enemy. That's kind of ideally what you want out of your opening hand and then turns one and turn two and turn three. So basically you have those three turns to obtain some type of configuration of Poison Ivy and Mad Hatter. So with that being said, having a turn one Ant May, although it's really cool, it's not really necessary, and we are actually not going to be playing Harley Quinn or Mystique. Aunt May is really the only other one drop that we have. If we don't get her turn one, we're really not too concerned because of her recruitment effect. We can discard a card to kind of cheat her into play. Let's say that we do draw Aunt May on turn one. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to lay down a resource on turn one, and we're going to play Aunt May. We're going to fetch for a character named Spider-Man, which will then go and grab uh, Mystique or Spider-Man if we have multiple copies of Mystique. Now there's only three Mystiques in the deck, so that's the goal, is to obtain three different Mystiques. So that's your turn one. As you reset to turn two, ideally you're going to want to play Poison Ivy. What happens is when we play Poison Ivy, we can actually sacrifice Aunt May on turn two to Poison Ivy and search our deck for Avalon Space Station. Now we can activate Avalon Space Station, discard a Brotherhood character card, and target that same Brotherhood character card we just discarded and Aunt May and return them to our hand, then discard a card and recruit Aunt May for free, searching out another Mystique. So now we have our second copy of Mystique, and this is only turn two. And so now on turn three, depending on whether or not you have Lost City or Avalon Space Station, the goal is to have Lost City, Avalon Space Station, and a team up on board by turn four. That's our main concern. And that's all we're attempting to do this whole time. So we're going to use that or combinations of Straight to the Grave and Enemy of My Enemy. The things that you're fetching for should be the same every game and in this order. That way you get really good at piloting the deck. So by turn three, you should have Mad Hatter. And it's important to note that Mad Hatter requires you to reveal an Arkham Inmates character in order for you to recruit him. So what's going to happen is you have Poison Ivy and Aunt May on the board. We're going to play Mad Hatter. We're going to reveal an Arkham Inmates character card. And I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, we're on turn three and we just played a two-cost card. So Mad Hatter can, can now activate his ability of paying one resource point and stealing one of our opponent's two-drop characters to our side of the board. So now we haven't, we haven't used Poison Ivy yet. So we get to actually go into combat and send our opponent's character that we just stole into their one-drop. 
or two drop, stun them, and then we can activate Poison Ivy's effect and actually KO the character that we stole so our opponent doesn't get it back. Then we're allowed to go ahead and, and fetch out uh, another piece of the Lost City Avalon Space Station or team up build. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's really an interesting combo uh, combo there. Yeah, so that's that's basically going to wrap it up for turn three, and now we're moving on to turn four, and this is where we really start to see the deck kind of take shape and do kind of what it's supposed to do. So turns one through three, we've been kind of setting up for a good board presence, and there's also something else that I, I probably should mention. With Aunt May, if we're not using Empire State University, we don't like draw it naturally, so we're exhausting Aunt May to Empire State University turns one through three. Right. We can actually kamikaze Aunt May into someone else on the opponent's side of the board, and she'll stun. We'll only take one endurance loss, but we can actually choose not to recover her. And so she'll get sent to the graveyard, and then we can use Avalon Space Station to bring her back and re-cheat re her in to go grab a third copy of our Mystique. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see how that works. So now we're moving on to turn four. We're kind of we're kind of building up this wave and and we've hit turn four. If we're on evens, we're gonna play Blob. And so while Blob is in the front row, our support row Brotherhood characters can't be attacked. The idea here is now by turn four, you should have Lost City, you should have Avalon Space Station, and you should have one of your two team-ups. So now we're going to team up Brotherhood and Arkham Inmates. And now Mad Hatter, Poison Ivy, and Aunt May, if we have 31st Century Metropolis to give her Brotherhood or Arkham Inmates, can't actually be attacked during the opponent's combat phase. And what's really yeah. interesting, yeah, what's really interesting about this is that our opponent can't really do a whole lot like his four drop traditionally can't trade with our four drop because most four drops in the game are like seven 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 six we have a six nine so he's just like a giant wall yeah the, right the only the only character that i could think about getting around this blob is um you know the bat zaro from world's finest yeah he has, a, yeah. He has a, i think he has like a i think he's like a nine eight or something like that or a nine seven and yeah but you have to be playing insanity to really utilize him you know? yeah some of the situations that i've run into from playing competitively is by turn four on our opponent maybe they'll have fate artifacts on board or they'll play um which this isn't really wildly played but i have seen it um bizarro from um dc's infinite crisis he's like an 11 7 and i think when he gets stunned i like gain four endurance or it's something like that oh yeah uh, i think i know which one you're talking about and yeah while we're on the you're talking about the four cost characters i just want to make a note too that the magneto house of m you were talking about how he can ko like all the fate artifacts on a character uh -huh. and in in my meta in my play group we do have uh one or two people that play hellboy and that BPR signal device is just so annoying because you can't target yeah. that Hellboy and he's getting yeah. plus one, plus one counters. So I think this Magneto needs to also, we need to make a mention that it can also KO the BPR signal device. Too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. Um, and, you know, also, you know, we run into a flamethrower. There's a really uh, good deck called High Voltage or Quick Voltage. Um, and it, it uses Black Panther to go ahead and fetch out a flamethrower and equip it. Magneto can actually KO that um, while it's in the hidden area. Uh -huh. And so that's that's another good mention, too. There's there's a lot of decent equipments um, that, that Magneto can actually target. It's pretty neat. Um, I like to play 
when I'm on the attack, like if I'm playing evens, a lot of times I'll play Magneto, especially if I have like Lost City and Avalon Space Station up, because I can start going on the offensive. But if I'm on odds, which means that my opponent's going to attack on turn four, a lot of times I can't really afford to have Poison Ivy KO'd or Mad Hatter KO'd. Or even Aunt May, like, the breakthrough damage on turn four can sometimes in Golden Age be pretty brutal. Okay. So I like to have Blob there for that reinforcement. And and it's not just the nine defense on turn four. It's the Lost City as well. And our rotation, we should have, like, three Mystiques and at least two Harley Quinns in our hand by now. Okay. So if, if you think about it, that's, what, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15. So it's plus 15, plus 15 we can potentially put on Blob. So in most scenarios, there is absolutely no way that they're stunning Blob on turn four. Okay, that's yeah, kind of interesting that you mentioned that. And then once we've protected everybody, now we can go ahead and KO Aunt May again to Poison Ivy to fetch out again. And turns four and on, if you get the, the early trifecta of Lost City, Avalon Space Station, and the team-ups, then turn four and on, you're really looking for underground resistance or soul world or another copy of empire state university or savage land so you can start utility digging or you can save your poison ivy for when they like death of the dream something have a blast something or just replace like a lost city or avalon space station you can activate avalon space station and discard a brotherhood to return two back as right before it resolves you can activate poison ivy and ko that avalon space station and search your deck for another Avalon Space Station and get even more card advantage coming back. Because now that it's a brand new card, it's not the same target as what Have a Blast was targeting. And so the effect of the target removal is actually negated because it's a new card. Okay, gotcha. Now we're gonna now we're gonna move on to turn five. That's about wraps it up for turn four. Moving on to turn five, we're gonna play Juggernaut um, Walking Disaster. And like I said with Poison Ivy, Poison Ivy at this point, you should be so stacked and so set, set that you should be using Poison Ivy reactively instead of proactively against what they're targeting. And then okay. you should be saving saving your pathetic attempts because turn six and turn seven is really going to be your blowout turns if you want to be on the offensive. And if you're facing stall, you're really going to want to start playing strategically from this point forward. Because at this mid-range level, the opponent's goal is to shut down Poison Ivy and shut down Lost City. And if they can do that, they might have a chance of winning. Juggernaut it comes in and he's able to, especially if Blob was like, your opponent was on evens, now you're on odds. So as Juggernaut comes in, you can power up a couple times and isolate some characters and do some breakthrough damage and actually replace your entire opponent, your opponent's entire uh, back row of resources that are face up. And also you might have the chance of when you replace those resources, you might get like, let's say they have, for example, five face up resources and you replace them all. Well, there's a chance that most of those could be characters face down in their resource row. It could. And, you know, in versus as a general rule of deck building, you know, we never slap in four Galactuses, right? We right. typically have like one high cost character from turn seven and on, or maybe two at seven, but eight is definitely usually just one and then one nine drop. That's typically what we see. And personally, um, I think the only exception to that rule is I've seen decks that run the um, the eight drop Jean Grey Phoenix Force. Yeah, I've seen a uh-huh. couple of decks that run like three to four of her, and only because that obviously it's a different deck strategy. 
you know? Sure, sure. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely exceptions for sure. You know, I think uh, Juggernaut and, and and you know going back to what you said, I think Juggernaut taking one of their high drops and slamming it into their resource row face down where they can never use it again. Um, I've had games where that's happened to me uh, with other decks and stuff, and and I just lost. I lost the late game because there was literally no way to move that card to the graveyard. Now in Mega City, it doesn't happen to us very much because we're actually able to replace with Poison Ivy. So that's good. And by graveyard, you obviously mean KO Pile. I, know I, I do. Yeah, I, I know do. it's the same yeah. thing and people get it mixed up all the time. And I, and yeah, I play multiple definitely. card games, so I get the stuff mixed up myself. Man, it's, so. yeah, every card game, it seems so different. Like each, you know, it's named completely different. Graveyard, KO Pile, Discard Pile, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just think it's. But, uh, I just think it's funny that there's different names for everything. It's like I, I can't tell you how many of my friends I played with. Like, oh, I'm gonna play this monster card, and I'm like, we're not playing Yu-Gi-Oh, we're playing Versus. It's a character card, and I, kinda, I know, I know, I kind of nerd rage about him. You know, like, oh ah, man, it's called character. Ah. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've said, hey, I'm gonna cast straight to the grave, or I'm gonna cast enemy of my enemy. <laughs> oh, know? that's funny. But yeah, so, you know, turn five, we can really disrupt our opponent's, you know, back row a lot. And so that's that's pretty sweet. Um, and, you know, Juggernaut's really important to play over Spider-Man because when you move on to your turn seven weapon of mass destruction, you know, it, it doesn't really work very well unless you've played the five drop, right? Right. So that's, that's important to note too. Moving on to our, our six cost, our turn six, like rotation, Sentinel Mark seven, is like 99% of the time that's all you're going to play. Sentinel Mark 7. Because this is where the game can end on turn 6 if you're on evens. And if you're on odds, the game typically ends on turn 7 because of Magneto coming in the next turn. So what happens is, because you're kind of stunning and doing your other stuff, we get into this mid-range fight of dealing with our opponent's 4-drop, 5-drop, and 6-drop. When we play Sentinel Mark 7 and we go to attack, Hopefully, if you've done everything right, Sentinel Mark 7 is going to attack their, their 6-drop. And then what's going to happen is as you stun their 6-drop and you use Lost City to power up, you then use Sentinel Mark 7's ability to stun their 4-drop. So, oh, okay. yeah. so now they're left with a 5-drop and you've got Sentinel Mark 7 and you still get to attack with Juggernaut Walking Disaster and blob and poison ivy and mad hatter so now you're going to go in for that kill turn by just going all in and what's what's interesting about this is when i say all in i mean all in i mean like you're discarding every power up that you have right after everything's safe and you're activating avalon space station to do it again and then you're flipping another avalon space station killing off the avalon space station that was initially exhausted does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think I got that. So as that Avalon space station that was exhausted dies off, yeah, you're one less resource, but it doesn't matter because you're going to activate the one you just flipped again to replenish, right? To replenish your, maybe even right. discard a penguin to bring back three Mystiques or two Mystiques and a Harley Quinn to turn around and discard them again. And then if you haven't used Poison Ivy that turn, you can KO... The Avalon Space Station and search it for another Avalon Space Station and do it again. Okay, got it. Which, you know, all of this should result in in a kill on that turn. Like, you should have them at zero or below 
most of my games end up like that if I'm not fighting one of the Golden Age top contenders, especially tabletop brews. Stuff like that happens all the time where you just win on turn six. Turn seven, we've got Magneto or Juggernaut. We talked a little bit about this. If you can't win on turn six, which you'll be able to tell, you can totally do it on turn seven with a seven drop Magneto and then Sentinel Mark seven because you know you got the Magneto, Sentinel Mark seven, Juggernaut, and then Blob. And so that should be enough to overrun the opponent. Or if you want to really mess with your opponent, you can play Juggernaut, play on the defensive, and allow them just to KO, like you KO two of their resources. So they move from turn seven to turn six, and then they go back to seven on the next turn, which is your turn eight now. But he KOs again at the combat step. So now on the next turn... that, that seven drop Juggernaut is very similar to the Marvel Origins Apocalypse, I believe, right? It is, Except yeah, the, it is. The apocalypse is obviously an eight drop, and this is you get to play this a turn earlier. But you're playing the five drop juggernaut in this deck, so that really, I obviously think the weapon of mass destruction juggernaut is better than the apocalypse. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're playing on not playing any juggernaut, I guess it's kind of situational because if you're not playing any juggernaut cards, you know, the eight drop uh, apocalypse would be okay. But it's definitely worth you know playing extra juggernauts to get it pretty much the same effect just a turn earlier definitely and he's brotherhood too so unlike apocalypse he's going to be fodder for avalon space station which is really cool oh yeah that's true yeah because i believe Um, the apocalypse has no team affiliation right which makes it hard to search for it for enemy of my enemy now from my understanding you can discard it to enemy of my enemy to fetch for something else because it will share a different printed affiliation because it has no printed affiliation oh okay but but you can't grab it with Enemy of My Enemy, which is typically an issue uh, oh. as well. Oh, okay. That's honestly, that's pretty much it. You know, Juggernaut forces your opponent into this mid-range of clocking back a turn from turn seven, six, and five. Meanwhile, you have three different six drops. You see what I'm saying? Right. So while they're clocking back, you're playing different six drops and different seven drops. And typically decks don't have like, oh, I have one six drop, a completely different six drop, a completely different six drop. It's usually just four six drops. So if your opponent has a six drop on board, typically I've seen with Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction, when you clock them back to those early turns, they actually can't play anything because they don't have another character that is a different name than what they have on the board. Oh, okay, I see. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. I think that this is one of your more optimal rotations that you're going to do. And if you just repeat this every every time you play and just get good at sacking at May and fetching for the locations for Poison Ivy and fetching for the Mystiques and just understanding kind of what order you need to do things in at each turn because you're going to do the exact same thing every turn. You know, every game turn one is going to be the same. Every game turn two is going to be the same. The only difference is on turn four, do we play Blob or Magneto? And then on turn six, or on turn seven, do we play Magneto or Juggernaut? And then occasionally you're going to need Spider-Man Secret Avenger to negate an effect. Like, occasionally. Right. Gotcha. Okay, great. So, yeah. So, we got a good idea on how the curve goes. And, you know, it just, yeah. It seemed everything that you said makes sense. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to add before we move on? Um, no, I think that pretty much wraps it up for, like, how the deck kind of functions and its rotations, for sure. Okay, cool. Well, uh, thanks very much for that, and I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, interested in, you know, doing some of their own things with the deck, but 
Okay, so let's move into the next segment. We got some uh, questions for you about the deck. And now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some frequently asked questions about the deck, starting with, um, so Jacob, what initiative does this deck typically want to go on? The odd initiative or the even initiative? Well, I think it, I think it largely depends on what deck you're facing against. So if you're facing against something like stall, then you're going to want to take more of an even initiative approach so that like Sentinel Mark 7 on your attack can kind of bust in there and break up the flow of things. Okay. It also, it, it just wildly depends on where we're at with Sentinel Mark 7 because we have a four drop Magneto and we have a seven drop Magneto. One Magneto is on evens initiative, the other Magneto is on odds initiative. You really have to sit down and gauge, am I going to be on the defensive against this deck for Blob? If that's the case, obviously Magneto can't be there to make the most out of Sentinel Mark 7 on turn 6. So you're going to want to attack first on turn 7, which would be an odd initiative. You also have to look at, like, am I facing against like a rush deck? One that just constantly plays smaller characters? And if so, I may need to change up my strategy completely and play Blob on turn 4 and then underdrop every turn to use Mad Hatter one resource point skill every turn to steal something from that point forward if that makes any sense right you want to make sure that it, it depends on like yeah stealing like using the mad hatter's effect to steal their their little weenie cards could be effective and if that's the case then your turn five is no longer turn five it's turn four again right you, you see what i'm saying yeah. so gotcha Okay, so the next question on our list, and this is something that I've noticed when you're talking about the deck. So I've seen a lot of other decks that, you know, obviously there's a uniqueness rule for locations. You can only have one copy of Avalon out and one copy of Lost City out. And I noticed that in the deck you have Soul World and Avalon, which are the very important cards in getting like your character cards back from your KO pile. But I noticed that there's no Slaughter Swamp in this deck. Is, there, is that just like a deck choice for you? You just don't want to put in Slaughter Sovereign. Can you kind of explain a little bit why Slaughter Swamp is not in the deck? Well, I feel like the main feel that we're looking for is abilities that say discard a card from your hand isn't actually card advantage. Right. So when you, when you have Slaughter Swamp, you're essentially saying swap one character in your hand for one character in your KO pile. Avalon Space Station is the exception of this rule where it'll say get a character from your KO pile and bring it to your hand because the card you discard will also be the card you bring back. So Soul World, the reason why Soul World is in there is to offset the cost of Underground Resistance and have a blast. It's also there to offset the cost of Enemy of My Enemy because Soul World actually allows you to just bring any, any character back from the graveyard to your hand without actually discarding a card. So if we had Slaughter Swamp in there instead of Soul World, we would no longer be netting value from Underground Resistance, Enemy of My Enemy, and Half a Blast. And sometimes Spider-Man as well for his ability. This is why Empire State University is also in here. Because Empire State University's effect doesn't require you to discard anything once you gain the value of placing one of those two cards into your hand. So if you really wanted to have Slaughter Swamp in there, you can cut an Empire State University. I don't recommend it when you're grinding hundreds of games, I just don't think you're going to like it as opposed to using Avalon Space Station and just flipping another one and using it and then using Poison Ivy to go grab another Avalon and using that as well. Yeah, on your kill turn, 
you know, Slaughter Swamp just isn't going to help you all that much, but Avalon Space Station will, and so will Soul World, because it'll allow you to just abuse that mechanic over and over. I've used Avalon Space Station four times in one turn before. I've pumped characters that are swinging in direct really, really high. So <laughs> I don't feel like I could use that as efficiently with Slaughter Swamp. I've noticed that in this deck, you're running uh, four copies of the Harley Quinn and three Bastiques. Is that also a personal choice for the deck? Why you decide to run that instead of, you know, four copies of Mystique and three Harley Quins? I found that one of the main kind of snags that you run into is on turn two or three, when you choose to play Mad Hatter on either of those turns, he actually has to reveal an Arkham Inmates character card. When I run four Mystiques and three Harley Quins, I have less of a successful opportunity with Mad Hatter, and I actually have to use something like Straight to the Grave or Activate Avalon Space Station when I don't really want to in that moment, just to fulfill the cost of being able to, to recruit the Mad Hatter. This way, with four Harley Quinns, I have an increased chance of doing it and honestly uh, of being successful with with recruiting Mad Hatter and honestly between the four Aunt Mays I I don't really miss having uh four Mystiques over three I haven't run into an issue at all over it in, in the gosh two or three years that I've been playing this so what so are you saying you've been playing this deck for two or three years yes I have oh yeah. okay gotcha okay awesome so all right the next question on the list is Something else that I noticed about your deck that you run uh, four copies of Ant-Man when there's only one Spider-Man. So are you, and I know you mentioned earlier too that the the Ant-Maze could also search for Mystique because she also has the name Spider-Man in your deck. So that's a way of fetching her out. So I guess the question is, is why are you running four copies of Ant-May here instead of, you know, again, like what, like kind of similar, kind of like what I talked about in the last question is that, you know, why play four Aunt Mays when you can just take out an Aunt May and add another Mystique so that way it helped your deck, you know, maybe power up an extra card later in the game? Some lists that I've seen have had run three Aunt Mays, and I feel like this is incorrect mm -hmm. because the synergy between Empire State University and Aunt May is so good. But the problem is, like, I've seen other lists that, you know, you were talking about um, earlier, the Slaughter Swamp. Mm -hmm. I've seen some lists that run one Empire State University, two or three Aunt Mays, and then one Slaughter Swamp. And I just found in my testing that the card value generated from Empire State University is so absurd in the long term. It becomes even more ridiculous when we don't actually have to fetch out Empire State University. So four copies of a Spider Friends character that we can use in conjunction with Empire State University and then two copies of Empire State University seem to fit really, really well in the testing for this deck. You definitely want to utilize the Empire State University as best you can because the only other, well, the only printed name Spider Friends character you have is the Five Drops Spider-Man, right? Right, right, so, correct. So, okay, that makes sense, you know, trying to get more Spider Friends character exhaust with that. So another thing I noticed about your deck is I want to talk about the six drop slot for a second. You play that that Bane in that deck, which I thought is very interesting because yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty old card. And, you know, with the printing of later sets like DC Legends and Marvel Evolution, and there just seems like there could be so many other great cards that you can replace for that Bane. So why, why the choice in Bane in this deck? You know, that's, that's a good question, man. I have been on a scour for 
good six drops outside of Sentinel Mark 7 with Empire State University, Underground Resistance, Four Straight to the Graves, Enemy of My Enemy, and being able to fetch these cards out with Poison Ivy, fetch locations out with Poison Ivy. I really feel like there's no point in running three Sentinel Mark 7s. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I split it up. I was on the lookout for some good six drops, and I've seen some lists that run like, I think there's like a female version of Clayface or something where you can actually recruit her from the graveyard. Oh yeah, that's Some, the World's Finest Cassandra Fuller one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I thought about that and I, I really, in testing, I really looked at it and I said, you know, I don't understand why I'm trying to recruit this from the graveyard. I think I'm just doing it to stay on theme rather than having like an actual purpose behind what I'm attempting to accomplish. Right. So, and it really dawned on me, you know, when I had included Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction, to combat spider stall and some of the other like really long drawn out games that if we deny them galactus they can sometimes drag out to like turn 12 or turn 13 after juggernaut weapon of mass destruction i'm i'm knocking them back it's really only one resource because it is two but when they start their turn they're going to lay down a resource so they're only one turn behind from that point forward which puts us at back at needing a second seven drop and that's why we have Magneto. So once we play Juggernaut, we KO. The turn after that, we're able to play Magneto, right? But then the turn after that, we need something good as well. And I really thought that if we didn't have a 7-drop Magneto, or I felt like there was a lot of really good moments where Bane's KO ability came into play really well. And the fact that we can boost him just a little bit outside of 6-drop stats... I feel it makes him one of the better contenders. And then it's also the same reason for Mad Hatter. We need another Arkham Inmates character that we can reveal when we actually play Mad Hatter. I totally understand if some people are like, hey, like I absolutely cannot stand Bane. I think he's terrible. <laughs> I, I get it. In my playtesting, I didn't like him either, but I wanted to try out his stun. And honestly, I never went back since. There's a seven drop two face as well. I think he allows you to like mulligan in a different way okay. as well. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. That's not the that's not the one uh the seven drop two is it the one from Origins? Uh it's it's split is it split personality? I think it's I think it's two face split personality from World's Finest. Oh okay. uh, I, I think that if he's like mulligan an additional time. Oh, okay. Or something like that. I've seen lists that run him, and I don't think it's wrong to run him. I just really like Bane's KO ability. Paired with Juggernaut's KO ability for the resources. Paired with Sentinel Mark Seven's stun ability. We can stun with Sentinel Mark Seven, and then Bane can come in and just wipe it off the board when he goes to attack. And so between that and the Mad Hatter, I felt like... And Arkham Inmate 6 drop was the best choice. And then looking at all of the Arkham Inmate 6 and 7 drops, I felt like Bane really fit the description a lot better from what we're looking for. So essentially, he's a, a 6 drop Arkham Inmate that you just need for the deck. It, it is. At the minimum, that's, that's what we need. And then when we lay out all the pros and cons, like the pros is basically what I had told you. Yeah, and, and there's very few cons because it has to be an Arkham Inmate's character that's 6 drop. Another thing about this deck is you have you use one copy of the the Caliban from I think he's Marvel Evolution, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's the what's the purpose of him in the deck? Like why run one copy of him? He's he's great fodder for enemy of my enemy, which doesn't 
which isn't a reason to run him. The fact that he takes away the opponent's ability to draw cards outside of the draw step, we look at negating like, and, and I know that this isn't really a very good golden age deck, but I'll give you an example. If we can catch it early, we can prevent, yeah, have you heard of the deck Fat Bat? Uh, is that the one that, that you play the like GCPD officers to get the Batman to be yeah. big? Yeah, and the cosmic radiations and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to give an example more on the casual side, Caliban can actually shut that down completely. Okay. And now we're looking at, like, not a very good Batman deck because they can't exhaust to draw. Like, they, they're just not allowed to draw those cards. Or, like, if you play against, I think Bosom Buddies is a popular yeah. Golden Age deck, and they play the techno-organic virus. From a competitive aspect, yeah. All techno-organic virus variants, it'll shut that down. What is it? Uh, Xavier's Dream. It can shut down uh, some combo decks that you need to draw a bunch of cards to combo off with that was it rigged elections there, there's a bunch of them that require a ton of draw cards there's actually a deck that that i had built that i really really like and i'm starting to convince myself that it's a top eight in the golden age contender there's a mental x-men mental list that, oh um, my ears just perked up i love yeah. mental decks <laughs> i know I, I was on a quest for a long time i know this is a little off topic but i was on a mm -hmm. quest for a long time to build a deck that was as good as basically the top eight or the top 10, you know, golden age decks right now. And every time I go to test, I mean, this deck surprises me so well. We look at Sage, you know, being able to discard a mental character to draw two cards from our deck. That's the, is that uh, the Hellfire Club one? It is, yeah. yeah. So Caliban shuts down things like that. And although a lot of times you don't need them, some of our matchups we have a hard time against combo and hearts that just draw an absurd amount you know what i mean uh -huh. and caliban's kind of necessary to turn to in those instances for sure the next question on the list is i think you kind of answered this already but the question is why no three drop characters and i think it's because on turn three you want to play the bad hatter and then pay one resource point for his effects right it is, and that's the only reason, and if you wanted to stray away from that concept or that idea, you could also run, there's a Marvel Legends 3-drop, I think it's like Champion of Cataracts or something, it's like Juggernaut from Marvel Legends. Okay. It's a. It's either a 5-5 five, five or a 6-6. Six, six. Oh, is that uh, the 3-drop? It is, yeah. Yeah, he's uh -huh. a 6-6, six, six, and he can't, bit, when he attacks, he can't ready during the recovery phase. Something like that, yeah. yeah. I tested him out in here as a one copy of a three-drop just in case, like, there was nothing to steal with the Mad Hatter and there was just no real reason to play him. But I've also found that there's going to be a lot of times where Poison Ivy, like, once we get into more of the mid-range, like, turns four, five, and six, Poison Ivy needs a target to sacrifice to dig for a location. Okay. And your your my only choice was the three drop juggernaut because there's no way I was sacking blob and I can't sack poison ivy because it says KO another character. Oh, okay. So I I sometimes I wound up sacking the juggernaut anyway when Aunt May wasn't really available for some reason. I just found that it didn't matter, so it was just easier just to play Mad Hatter because the ends just don't justify the means in trying to add a third like another slot for a brotherhood character if that makes sense oh yeah absolutely so okay the next question on the list is 
There are some cards in the deck that are either really expensive to buy or they're just hard to come by because, you know, since, you know, some of these cards are just hard to find the deck because everybody wants them or they're, they're just, they came from maybe Marvel Evolution that was a low print run set. So the next question on the list is, what are some budget options that people can make to this deck? Like, let's say, I think like Straight to the Grave is like $30 or $35. So if you wanted mm -hmm. a play set of them, they are that would be like $120 plus to get that. So what are some budget options you can make with the deck, I guess, is the general question. Yeah, that's a really good question. And yeah, you're right. Like a lot of the cards in this deck specifically, it can be super pricey because of the later sets for sure. Uh, Mystique's expensive. Aunt May's starting to climb up there in price. Straight to the Grave, Enemy of My Enemy. You know, a lot of that has to do with Category 1 games just completely being sold out every time somebody needs copies of these things. So the, the price kind of spikes a little bit because all of us kind of remember Enemy of My Enemy being a, you know, a $10 card or a $12 card. And now it's starting to like really climb up there. So I would say that there is a budget version. There was a 10K tournament in Brisbane in 2006. And there was a guy named uh, Alex Antonios. And he was, if, if I'm not mistaken, he was like one of the youngest um, like 10K winners in Versus. Okay. And he actually won first place with Mega City. And what's interesting is in 2006, Marvel Evolution, Marvel Universe, Marvel Team Up, you know, basically from Marvel Team Up on, even to the coming of Galactus with pathetic attempts, these cards didn't actually exist for tournaments. A Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction, you know, Sentinel Mark 7, Spider-Man Secret Adventure. So there's actually a version of this deck that won back then before these sets came out it won first place and it it still abused the poison ivy mad hatter because they they were out at the time and it put blob in the front row and it protected everybody but instead of curving out to like turn seven turn eight or turn nine instead of that what the deck did was it played a lot of the lower cost characters and it curved out i think to like turn five for like normal magneto and then it used like genosha Oh, is, is it Genosha or Geonosis? I'm maybe thinking of uh, Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Geno are you talking about which which uh, card are you talking about? The the location that you sacrifice and you can draw four cards if you control Magneto. Oh, yeah, that's Genosha. Genosha, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it curves out at five and Blob protects everybody in the back and you just kind of sit back and just burn your opponent out. And your Lost City and Avalon Space Station resources are just used on Blob itself oh, to like okay. keep your guys protected. And um, yeah, there's there's a version of that. And if you want, I can send you the link to the deck list. I have the deck list. I'll oh. send it to you if you want. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. And I can post that on the YouTube channel. It's not a problem. So people can take a look at that. So, OK, okay so I think the, the last question we're going to ask here today is, you know, it's kind of a generic question, I guess. So what are the like, actually, I guess this could be like two questions in one. But uh, what are some of the good matchups? against the second what are some of the like really bad matchups so just to clarify if anybody is there like decks that oh if you play against a certain deck uh mega city will always win but there's also decks that mega city could also you know lose to very very easily i believe that 
that this deck is obviously one of the top eight decks in Golden Age. And I know this is going to be kind of like a long-winded rant, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some other day we can talk about Golden Age and, and the meta of Golden Age and, and what all that means and all that jazz. But the long-winded rant is basically this. We're currently in a meta, and we have been for a very long time, and we'll probably never get away from this. We're currently in a meta where interacting with your opponent and ways to shut them down is more important than interacting with yourself. I think that this is why this deck is one of the top decks in Golden Age and will probably always be one of the top decks in Golden Age, no matter what playgroup you play with or anything like that. Because if you look at the list, there's not really a whole lot that if we say, okay, if they shut us down here, we just lose. We can actually take out Lost City and just normal power up, and we can still win. I've had matches where they've they've blown up the Lost City, I've, I've ran out of pathetic attempts, or I've had to save it for Galactus, and I've still come out winning. Um, oh, okay. Just, yeah, just simply because it's just... It's just high-cost characters, it's mid-range, and, and their attack and defense stats are relatively high, and each character just does some really cool, unique stuff, which is another reason why Savage Land is in here. You know, they focus all on Lost City, and then we just come in clutch with the Savage Land and just beat in for plus eight on, like, a, you know, after isolating, and all of a sudden they're, you know, at zero endurance, and we've won you know, on turn seven anyway, without using Lost City. Right. So the fact that Lost City can just completely blow the opponent out and we're utilizing a mechanic called powering up, it's not like we're playing with Hulk Smash or something. It's not like we're playing a card that can be omnipotenced, right? Mm -hmm. Or that can be negated to negate target plot twist. We're just simply powering up characters. To answer your question about what this deck is good against, I would say it's good against everything because of that fact. Because no matter what you play, even if it wasn't this exact deck, if you play anything that doesn't require plot twists or locations to manually pump up your guys and you're playing mid-range and your opponent's not prepared for it, you're going to smack them around all day. There's also a little bit more to it in the sense that because they don't have very much interaction with us and there's not a whole lot that they can do with us, we don't have much interaction with them except for just brute force and board presence. The deck has a hard time against decks that don't care about combat. Now, what's cool is that the addition of Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction actually beats out decks like Spider Stall and some of the other really good stall decks that's in the format, just simply because we get to whittle down the resources. So after turn 7, we can go another 7 turns after turn 7 all the way to turn 14. Wow. And what's, what's going to happen is Juggernaut will have completely whittled you down to the point because it's up to two target resources juggernaut will have whittled you down to the point where you're just playing one resource and that's technically your turn one when we get into you know turns 13 and 14 12 13 and 14 so now your opponent's staring at a board presence of juggernaut magneto mystique bane sentinel mark seven spider-man and juggernaut 
Okay, and actually, I want to add something really quick. Um, if you guys really want to see the power of that 7-drop uh, Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction, anybody who's listening to this, I have a YouTube channel, Super Fanboy Guy. There is a game that I play with my buddy Alessandro. It's my, I call it my MJ Magneto Juggernaut Brotherhood deck against his World's Finest deck. And if you really want to see how devastating that Juggernaut is, you should go and watch that video because I was able to KO, like, I think four or six of his resources in one game. And what, and I had the, um, the Juggernaut's helmet on him, the equipment that makes him so he can't be targeted by effects. Yeah, that jug Juggernaut weapon mass destruction, really brutal, brutal card to deal with. It is. It is pretty brutal. So when I talk about cards that are like they don't really care about combat, I'm not I'm not talking about decks like stall decks because Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction should get us there, right? Between right. that and late game negating effects, we should be okay there. I'm talking about combo cards, rigged elections, bosom buddies. One of the biggest issues that I think that this deck has, if you were to ask if what the roughest deck in the format to play against. I think it's Combex. Have you ever have you ever heard of that deck? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Combex is probably, in my opinion, one of the, it's it's very underrated, and I think it's so broken that people just like either refuse to acknowledge it or they just kind of forgot about it because the, you know nobody likes to play the game in in a tabletop match that's going to make everyone else just quit playing. You know right. what I mean? And I think that Mega City kind of low-key does that, but it makes our opponent feel like they still have a chance until we choose to say you don't have a chance and, like, dump our whole, just dump everything in there, right? right. So, you know, with this being said, Combex is um, Exiles, of course, right? Exiles. Oh, mm -hmm. It's, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. Exiles. If anybody doesn't know what the Exiles deck does, then you should find out what it does. Cause it right. Exile, exiles is what made Marvel Evolution really broken. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the same with Caliban, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So Exiles, what they like to do is they like to shift things, right? I, and, I encourage and in case in case people don't know, shift is a mechanic. That you can rem you can pay one resource point and remove them with a shift counter outside of the game. Then you can pay resource points to add more shift counters to it. And then when they have the number of shift counters equal to their cost, you get to put them in the play for free. What's interesting about this is there's nothing that really targets shift cards. So, and this is right. why Caliban is our silver bullet answer to a lot of decks that require a ton of draw and like comboing off by like drawing their whole deck or something, they can't actually target Caliban while he's shifted. Uh, there's there's really nothing that they can do about it. Once it's shifted, it's game over. Oh, wait, so, his ability is when he's shifted, they can't play stuff. Yes, when he's oh, shifted. Oh, I thought it was always play. when he's in play. Oh, no, that's yeah, what that's... makes him so bonkers. Yeah, he just ruins combo decks by setting them aside. With that being said, combo decks that don't require drawing cards... That's exactly what Combex is. So it's Exiles with Shift, and there's a location called Panoptotron. Oh, yeah. And uh -huh. Yeah. You're, are you familiar with this? Oh, absolutely. I have an Exiles deck myself. Okay. So, I, yeah, that's their, lo their main location that they use. So essentially what you're doing is you're playing this uh, four-drop. I believe it's from MEV. Yep. It's Siren. What Siren does is anytime an activated ability is used, it burns your opponent for one endurance. And so what happens is we have Panoptotron or Panoptocron or whatever, and we're going to use like Checkmate Safe House and some other things, maybe UN Building to team up Exiles and Checkmate. 
and there's a checkmate card. It's it's a hidden two drop. It's called the Blackthorn. Are you familiar with this card? Uh, yeah. Is she like okay. a three two or whatever? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, she has like a, this backup ability that you can you can exhaust, you can activate her and and untap a location that you control. Right. Okay. And and so what you do is you use. Panoptotron to remove Blackthorn from the game shifted with the amount of shift counters equal to her cost. Because this target exiles card, right? But mm -hmm. you've teamed them up. And so I activate Blackthorn. I target Panoptocron. And then I tap Panoptocron to remove her from the game shifted. So now Panoptocron is untapped. And I play a second copy of Blackthorn with Siren and board. So now... I tap Blackthorn to target the, the location again, and I'm swapping them out and activating them over and over in an infinite loop. And because the four drop siren is on board, I'm using a character with an activated ability over and over and over again. And so I can actually burn you for an infinite amount of endurance on turn four or turn five. Wow, that's pretty nasty and all thanks to the marvel evolution <laughs> yeah i know right yeah. um yeah those sets get a lot of flack for having a lot of busted uh and and it seems like even nowadays like a lot of formats that people are trying to introduce introduce to make the game kind of more fun is is just completely excluding coming of galactus with the pathetic attempts and omnipotence and uh marvel evolution and you know all all those later sets at just excluding them out. But if you were to ask what my hardest deck is to face so far in my testing, that's like, it's not a 50, 50 chance. It's like so one-sided that if we played a hundred games, I would probably lose 70 of them. Right. Would big combacks would be it because okay. both buddies, Caliban shuts it down. Right. Right. Rigged elections, you know, Caliban shuts it down or it's so slow that I just get there anyway. Convex is not like that. Convex will just absolutely murder you, and they'll do it in a way that if 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 you're just not paying attention or you slip up once, you're gonna lose. If they get lucky, you're gonna lose, and then half the time you're just gonna lose anyway. So I and I know I'm still on that long-winded rant, but <laughs> right. with that being said, I don't want anybody listening to this to think that this deck is is the the best in the format. I think. There's no such thing as the best in the format. It's just the top eight or ten decks that statistically perform better against all the other decks, right. if, if that makes sense. So with that being said, it's a lot less about what decks it's bad against uh, or what decks it's good against. And it's more of what specific card the opponent is going to be running against me that's going to give me a hard time to help them get there and get ahead on me. Okay, um, right. So, so some of those cards, there's a infinite crisis card called threat neutralized. Basically anytime a card hits the graveyard, it gets removed from the game. And that can be really backbreaking because that removes my card advantage from Avalon space station and really busts a hole in the game in my rotation. Right. And that's why you um, play, that's why you play the have a blasted discard. Cause I think that's an ongoing effect that it has that it removes, right? It is. It is an yeah. ongoing, which is which is why we need to have a blast. Yeah, yeah, for yeah exactly. Like or this. some other yeah. other ongoing plot. Just like if they have on omnipotence out too, that helps. Sure. That, yeah. That. So that Absolutely. Um, because sometimes they'll play omnipotence and and call pathetic attempt, right. and now pathetic attempt can't be used, and now they go to single target removal or death of the dream, the lost city, and the Avalon space station. 
Right. And there, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Which is why it's important to realize that and to have Poison Ivy ready to replace those cards and not just use Poison Ivy for the sake of using her. You know what I mean? Um, some other cards on that list would be Unmasked. Although not as, not as good, it can still be kind of backbreaking if you time it well. System Failure. I hate this card. I think System <laughs> Failure is complete the, and under the, garbage. The, the underpowered... Um... It was it overload? Yeah, yeah, yeah overload. Underpowered yeah. overload. <laughs> man, that is the poor man's overload right there. You know, what's Actually, really funny... at this point, I think overload would be cheaper in this case since it's banned, but I mean... Uh, yeah, I I I'm surprised that, that like, a lot of people in my playgroup don't really play System Failure a whole lot, but I see other groups, you know, on the on the collective that people still use that card, so... Oh my gosh, other people swear by overload, and I gotta be honest, man, that card overload is or System Failure. Or system failure. Yeah. yeah. And that card is utter garbage. And, you know, you've really got to be a bad Mega City player to go all in on Mega City and, like, just walk into the overload or uh, system, in failure. system failure. Yeah. But I will say this that is a pretty janky card. It is. It's so janky. It almost makes my blood boil that it's so janky. However, that's it what you can't. Have pathetic attempts for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pathetic attempt is good, but it can come in clutch. Like there can be some scenarios where I haven't had it happen to me, but I do know that if I was faced with it and it was a good player, oh, uh, system failure can be can be really annoying, and and in some cases can actually completely turn the tide of the game. There's a Marvel Avengers card uh, called Kang Cobra. It's like a three drop hidden common. Yeah, the 4-3, the right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a terrible card. However, you know, it'll come into play in the hidden area, and you can actually, you know, when it's in play, it has a static effect that says that I can't power up anything. You know, because it's in the hidden area, it's going to be kind of harder to target, harder to hit. You know, another reason why, you know, it's important to have effect negations in the deck, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, Kang Cobra can be a problem. I know that a lot of people in Good Guys, which I don't feel like is very competitive, now, but, good, good uh, guys is the JLA JLI deck, right? It is, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Good guys. Uh, sometimes they run just a one of Kang Cobra to enemy of my enemy fetch. And what's funny is, for the longest time, I was running one Caliban and one Kang Cobra in this list. Oh, uh, so yeah. That was your three I went, drop spot was that Kang Cobra? Huh? It, it it was. I didn't treat it as a three drop, but it it definitely was um, for the mirror matchup. Because what we would do is I would cut either a Juggernaut Walking Disaster or a Magneto House of M for that three drop cost. I've found that as time goes on, the competitive scene for Golden Age has really dropped off a lot. Right. And I just don't face the mirror matchup like hardly ever. People would rather play decks that bring them joy than to play decks that frustrate them because, you know, Exiles is in the format or Pathetic Attempt or basically the later sets exist. Yeah, King Cobra is another good one. Um, the Retaliator is actually really good, too. The Retaliator is pretty fantastic. Okay, and that's the location from Marvel... Is it Evolution? Is it I yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the one that you can KO it, and you can completely replace all locations. Now, um, the, the only disadvantage is you're down a resource when you play that. And you, activate, you are. Right? You are down a resource, but there's an upside. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, if they can sneak in, if you're replacing and they, they bring their seven drops and out of bad luck, the seven drops cheat into the resource row face down. 
I mean, you can actually win the game based on that alone. And and there's also another thing to consider. You know, I have Aunt May right. and I have uh, 31st Century Metropolis up. If you retaliate her, you kill my team up. And now all of a sudden Aunt May is just sitting there. She can't be reinforced. She's a completely different uh, team affiliation, right? Because right. we can't team up Brotherhood, Arkham Inmates, and Spider Friends. It has to be Brotherhood, Arkham Inmates, and that's it. So if in the mirror matchup or even in any other situation, you know, if I go retaliator and then I, I go all in on Aunt May with like four savage beatdowns, now all of a sudden I've lost because I can't, I don't have the endurance to keep up in the long run. Oh, okay. Right. Exactly. You know, I've seen some other like really janky things. I've seen like deep green decks that, that are running or drop. Ra's al Ghul that flips all my locations face down and I can't flip oh, them back yeah. up. Oh yeah, I do. You know, I am very familiar with that strategy because there's like <laughs> my buddy Robert has just a straight League of Assass Assassins deck and we play uh -huh. it, and so I know what that's like. Yeah, so there's always going to be hate and stuff, and there's some hate that's a lot more efficient than others, like Omnipotence. You know, Omnipotence have a blast combo or or things like that. But man, for the most part, you can still climb uphill with it. There's really no silver bullet answers to this deck. So to answer your question, Convex has been one of my harder matchups. And I'm sure that there's other decks that work like Convex. So I'm basically, I'm just going to say this. Decks that combo that don't need access to drawing cards that don't get shut down by Caliban. Those are my hardest matchups. And then the silver bullet answers, really well-timed, can sometimes be backbreaking, But... You know, a lot of these players, they have to dedicate their whole deck to dealing with Mega City. Right. Maybe because one guy is just abusing it at the at the, at the playtesting table. When you do that, and we know this from other TCGs, when you do that and go all in against like Mega City or Bosun Buddies or Convex or something like that, you tend to lose to all the other stuff. Right. Then all, all of a sudden Crisis Doom comes in and just rocks your world. Oh, and you're yes. like, oh dear, what happened? Well, it's because you're running... Four threat neutralized, two unmasked, a retaliator, and four system failures. That's why, that's why Doom completely blew you out of the tournament. Sorry, buddy. You right. know exactly. Okay, so I think we're over an hour on this podcast. So um, I think I think this is a good time to end it. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, call it a day here? I do. I I just wanted just real quick. I I think I want to look into and just give a couple of helpful tips when you're piloting the deck if that's all right uh, sure. uh and and this is just stuff that i wish i would have known when i was first picking up the deck and learning how to play it and these will only really be a couple because the rest is just going to be a uh, play time you know the the more the more interaction you have with the deck the quicker you're going to get with it and the better decisions you're going to make to cut down on the loss of the card advantage if you play straight to the grave or enemy of my enemy put it in your resource row first and then flip it that way, when you use Poison Ivy, you can KO that same plot twist and, and actually net card advantage rather than discarding enemy by enemy, like like using enemy by enemy and then KOing a location or a, or a different plot twist that you could have used later on, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another thing is don't discard Aunt May just for the sake of find, finding Spider-Man. Once you find the three Mystiques and you know that there's nothing really Spider-Man needs to negate, in order for you to be successful this run, don't replay her. Just start using her for Empire State University and just call it at that. Because again, when you discard, you're, you're starting to lose that card advantage. And managing your card advantage is one of the most important things that you can possibly do in this deck. There's another one. So Penguin, 
you probably noticed that he's a two of in here. Right. Penguin is your emergency button, and it's also your kill card. Every time you draw a penguin, you have to think. Uh, do you remember Last Stand? Uh, the, yes, the, the yeah, one that the, could draw three or more stun plus ten defense for the turn. Yeah, yeah, and the ridiculous amount of stat bonuses that it gives. Mm-hmm. I you got to think of the penguin being like. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is every time you use penguin, you have to think. Discard this card. Target character gets plus eighteen plus eighteen. Oh wow! That's every time you every time you see a penguin, you have to save it with this in mind. Here's why: because you'll go discard three mystiques or two mystiques and a Harley Quinn or mystique Harley Quinn and your second copy of uh, Juggernaut Walking Disaster to power up the Juggernaut three times. Right? right? This is plus nine plus nine. Now what happens is I tap Avalon Space Station and activate its ability to discard Penguin. When Penguin's discarded, you can remove him from the game and get another card from the KO pile back to your hand. But Avalon Space Station, because Penguin is also Brotherhood character with your team up, lets you get two cards. So the Penguin and Avalon Space Station is going to let you bring those same three cards back to your hand to re-discard again, which okay. nets you the eighteen eighteen in you know in one combo piece. Gotcha. So. I like to think of it as one penguin is for defensive purposes and one penguin is for offensive purposes for the 1818 or for the defensive purposes of free plus nine plus nine. And then you can retrieve all three of them to use next turn, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not actually uncommon to enemy of my enemy or straight to the grave for penguin to prepare in the long run for that plus 18 plus 18 interaction and sometimes twice. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that the last piece of advice I could give is your important turns are turns four, six, and seven. And those are the only turns in which the deck's going to deviate from its standard rotation of abusing the Aunt May, Poison Ivy, Mad Hatter engine, and then straight to the Grave Avalon Space Station. You know, I think that understanding when to use, like when to play the four drop Magneto versus when to play Blob. And then when to play Magneto over when to play Juggernaut Weapon of Mass Destruction is going to be super, super important to being successful when you're playing like 100 games and you're trying to statistically calculate your average win ratio. I think that knowing your audience and what decks you're playing this against is going to lead to you making the most intelligent decision in Golden Age. And I think that it's like this in any Golden Age deck, but it's especially like this here. You don't want to play Magneto on turn 7 when you should have played Juggernaut to knock them out of playing their 8-drop. Knowing your opponent's deck and knowing the audience of your playtesting group or even, you know, any online tournaments, that's pretty big. You know, the second thing is, this is the last thing that I want to mention. I don't see enough of this in, in the Versus community. It's okay to proxy this deck and to play it and see if you like it. Because you were talking about low budget version, mm-hmm. the low budget version obviously is not going to pale. It's not going to be as good as this deck. Period. It's no problem, and and a lot of playtesting groups really shouldn't mind because of how you know. Like I have four mobilizes, right? Right. I have thirty two decks, and some of those use mobile. I'm not going to switch the mobilizes out. So it's nothing to just write on the back of like a card from Marvel Spider Man mobilize and then just stick it in your deck we talk about you know the deck being really expensive proxy it out first if you don't like the way it runs don't waste your money maybe you like the the lower draw blob version where it doesn't go past turn five you know who knows i think that i think that that's really important you know proxy it up and most of the tournaments nowadays they're all online anyways using untapped or octgn Mm -hmm. so 
your their digital cards. You don't have to actually own them to play them and pilot them. You know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. that's probably my advice to anybody that wants to either try this deck out or pilot it for a little while. So I hope all that helped. No, absolutely. Yeah, definitely giving people advice on like how to play the deck is really useful because they're now after you talk about it, I kind of want to make this deck and play it myself <laughs> since I have most of the cards <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's pretty uh, fun, man. It is. So, okay. Uh, yeah, so I think that'll do it for this episode. The only thing that I'm going to conclude with is I'm going to obviously put this on my YouTube channel, but we'll probably put it on some other podcasting website somewhere, which we'll, we'll leave it in the link of the description of the YouTube channel. And then uh, make sure you guys like, comment, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you guys want to see more podcasts like this, you know, mention that. Trying to think if there's anything else. Um, we might do another episode where, let's see, I think the, that Spider Stall deck is like one of the competitive decks still, right? It is. It is. So in, my, might, in my opinion, it's still a top eight contender for sure. So I don't know. That might be that might be an idea to talk about next time or we might come up with something different. That'll do it. So Jacob, I want to say thanks so much for all your help and you know coming on and definitely have you next time. And I think uh, that's all I got to say. Anything else you want to? No, man. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I look forward to being, to being back on the show and uh, it was, it was definitely a pleasure and an honor and, and hopefully this serves the versus community really well. And I, I look forward to looking at everybody's comments and stuff, you know, on, on if there's anything that they want you to cover next or, or, you know, or anything like that. So yeah, yeah. thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in on this episode of, uh, I guess Super Fanboy Guys versus System Podcast. It's still a pending title, but um, yeah, and I guess we'll just see you next time.